The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. As the kids head out, uh, let me just fill you guys in on my morning thus far. Uh, so I lead a church called Axe Church Antioch, uh, which meets on, on Sunday nights at the moment. Uh, and so I'm trying to kind of reorient my schedule. And so this morning I, I took off, as you can see. Uh, but uh, this morning I was actually going to take off and, and do other things. And I got a phone call from Gabe at 730. He was like, hey, I'm not feeling so good. Uh, can you come in and do communion? I was like, yeah, that's great. I'll be there at 9. He's like, okay. Got a call at 7.45. He's like, okay, I don't think I'm going to do okay. Uh, can you, like, run the service and I'll do the message? I'm like, yeah, that's, that sounds great. Uh, Gabe called me at 8 o'clock. And he was like, hey, I'm not going to be there. Can you do everything? I was like, yep, okay. <laughs> that's kind of... At 7.30, like, I, I, he, like, woke me up. I was like, I'm pretty sure I know what this call is for. And so I kind of was already ready. Uh, so prayers for Gabe as he recovers. But um, uh, God works in really cool ways because, coincidentally, uh, at Acts Church Antioch, we're also going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Our series is called The Pursuit of Happiness. This series is called The Good Life. And so they, they both have uh, kind of a, a similar perspective because we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, now, before I talk too much about Ecclesiastes, I want for you guys to turn to the people sitting next to you, and I want you to share one thing you know about the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, if this is your first time here, you might not know anything about the book of Ecclesiastes, and that's okay. Uh, you might be coming for the past three, four weeks, and you know nothing about the book of Ecclesiastes, and that's okay. Or you might know some stuff. Uh, so just share one thing that you, you think you know about the book of Ecclesiastes. Go. Let's bring it back together. Uh, so now this, uh, the uncomfortable part. I want to hear some things that you, you said to your neighbors. So just shout them out. What is Ecclesiastes? Vanity. Vanity. Good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Toil. Yeah. What else? It's confusing. It's confusing. You're darn right. Meaningless. Meaningless. The book is, it has meaning, but <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, what else? It's what? Yes, it is a really long word. It is hard to say. Fun fact, uh, at Antioch, I can't tell you how many times I've accidentally said Ephesians instead of Ecclesiastes, and everyone's just like flipping through their Bibles trying to figure out where I am. It's uh, kind of a problem, but we're in Ecclesiastes today. Uh, So in the Bible, there's a couple of different classifications of uh, the different kind of books. It's filled with many different books. Uh, We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, We have law and gospel. Law is... 
a collection of different things that are, are do's and don'ts, and they help to guide us to lead a godly life. Uh, gospel, there's, there's the four gospels, but gospel is also a concept of different parts. Uh, there's gospel in the Old Testament, something that not a lot of people understand, but it's just uh, kind of redeeming us and bringing us back and leading us to the cross ultimately. Um, but then we have Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes is a part of wisdom literature, and it's not really either. Uh, there's some of both, um, but at the same time, it doesn't really fall in there. So it's, it's kind of this, uh, something that we wrestle with. And, and so today, uh, we are going through and, and just looking at uh, how it helps us to live a better life. And, and we're ultimately pursuing this good life. And that's kind of the wisdom literature aspect of it, is it gives us wisdom to live a better life and, and to live a life that points to God. Um, this illustration, this, this activity that I just had you do, it wasn't meaningless, <laughs> uh, but it actually had purpose. So kind of uh, keep in the back of your mind your emotions and your experience with that, and we'll come back to it. Um, but today, as uh, we read this morning, we're looking at what it means to work together. And the truth that I want to pull from this text is that working together is better than working alone. That's something that's pretty easy to agree upon, right? Working together is better than working alone. But yet, uh, very few times do we see that being played out in our, our life. We often are constrained to our own perspective, and we live in this isolationist uh, society, and uh, we're very individualistic. Uh, and so right, a, right away in, in verse 4, it says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work must come from a man's envy of his neighbor. And so right away, uh, Solomon is, is identifying here that a lot of our motivation for our work just comes from pure competition and pure envy. And so our work itself is just coming from uh, wanting to be better than our neighbor. And that's kind of the concept of, of working alone, you know. Everything that I do must be better than them so that I can be better and that I can be recognized. Um, this, is, this is a concept that I am confident that each of us has felt before. And a lot of us think that it's isolated to American culture. A lot of us think that it's isolated to uh, millennials or, or whatever it may be. But this is a concept that has dated for hundreds of years. People have always wanted to be, um, make themselves in a better positions to be better than their neighbor. It's just a fact. Uh, I know that for me this has played out in a lot of different ways, uh, but specifically when I was younger I uh, was a competitive skier. Uh, it's where you have two long things on your feet and you go on snow, uh, which is a thing that falls from the sky. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but I was a competitive skier, I was in the Junior Olympics, and I was really uh, wanting to be the best skier I could possibly be. Uh, now, skiing might seem that it's an individual sport, but it's actually a team sport, something that you don't know, um, because everything that you do benefits your team, uh, and so you'd think that you'd have a team mentality. But for me, uh, actually, my biggest competitors are people on my team. Uh, I used their training and I used their strategy to make my strategy and my training better. And my biggest competitor uh, was this guy named Tommy Gibson. And he's still like, whenever I say his name, my, my blood boils a little bit. Because I just, my, my biggest goal in life, my biggest ambition was beating Tommy Gibson. And uh, everything that I did, and, and a race was either a failure or a success, uh, dependent upon that one fact. And it was interesting because uh, if, if he had a bad race and I had an okay race, I was still like 
on top of it. And if he had a good race and I had a bad race, but I still was, was doing okay, I was beating myself up because my only comparison was against Tommy, was against my neighbor, was against someone that was on my team. Now, uh, obviously today I'm not a professional skier. I don't know if you guys knew that. <laughs> There's not a lot of good skiing in Texas. But uh, when I was ending, or when I was coming to the, the pinnacle point of my ski career, uh, I had scholarships lined up. I had an Olympic coach who was training me to uh, do the biathlon at Sochi in 2014. I was ready to go. I had my, my mind was set, um, but I got a tumor on my stomach and I had to have surgery. Uh, the most frustrating part about that for me was that the tumor was not threatening to my health at all. And so I, I would much rather have a tumor that affected my health so I'd have recovery time and I'd have something to hitch that trailer to and be like, woe is me, I have to recover, I have this, this, this illness or this disease, but I didn't. It was actually a very short surgery, I was an outpatient, it was kind of encompassing of a day, and the only repercussion of that surgery was that I had to quit skiing. Um, there was something about the way that the stitches were that I couldn't fully extend my body to, to uh, use the poles and that kind of stuff. And it was the only uh, thing that stopped my ski career. And I remember uh, at that moment, it was one of the most difficult moments of my life because um, everything that I was, everything who I wanted to be was, was tied to that one thing. I lost scholarships. I had to change schools. I um, didn't have any friends because all my friends were my competitors. You know, I, I tore down people who were around me so that I could be ahead of them. And so after this, this event, after the surgery, I had nothing left. And that's kind of uh, the, the thing that, that Solomon's saying here in verse 8. He says, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. His eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? I, unfortunately, I, I know that each of you have been in a similar situation to this, where you have felt as though everything that you've done, all this work that you've put in, has, has come to nothing. And you get frustrated at your work and you say, I did all this, but where's the result? Why am I not satisfied in this? Or something messes it up and you feel as though your entire world is crumbling. Again, this isn't a, a new concept. This isn't a new experience for us. It's something that people have been dealing with for hundreds of years. Uh, and, and there's the temptation to blame this, this desire. There's the temptation to blame this experience on the work aspect. A lot of people think work is the problem, work is evil. If we didn't go to work, we'd just all sit around and we could uh, be in community and we'd be uplifting each other and it'd be a great experience. But uh, I don't think that the work is evil. Uh, I hope that in the last couple of weeks, or, or you just know that there, there is good to work and there's a purpose that we have for work. Uh, there's a producer, his name is Gary David Goldberg, and he is a, a producer and he identifies this uh, tension between the individual and the team, and he says, a good team, like a good show, comes into being when the separate individuals working together create, in essence, another separate higher entity. The team, the show, which is better than any of those individuals can ever be on their own. And so his perspective here is that by, by working together and by forming a team uh, and by taking individuals and, and putting them together, you're creating a new individual. You're creating a new entity, this new thing, which is a team, and, and it's ultimately working together. And so from this, we, we can kind of take the, the benefits of working together, and I think that we all have seen that 
Um, you can accomplish more when, when there's more people. Um, but it's not the work that's necessarily evil. Uh, in fact, uh, God is the one who ordained the work. He's the one who created the work. When we look at Genesis, right after the creation, uh, he says to Adam and Eve, um, he says, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds and the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. Subdue it and have dominion. That's, that's work. That is God saying, go and do. It's not just saying live. It's saying go out, cultivate this world. Uh, Timothy Keller says that work is rearranging the raw materials of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. Uh, let's look at, again at Ecclesiastes here. It says, Two are better than one because if they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And so we have this, these different pieces of information coming in. We see that, that work is good. God created work. We see that being together is good, and, and God intends for us to be in community. But where is the connection here? Uh, there's this book that I've just finished reading. I highly recommend it. It's called Garden City by John Mark Comer. And the, the concept of this book is that uh, God created Eden as a garden. And a lot of times, uh, because of you know, the, the state that we are in as a culture, when we think of Eden, when we think of the Garden of Eden, we kind of think of Florida. Uh, we think of nice trimmed grass, we think of nice trees, and, and kind of a, a place to sleep, and all the fruits are, are hanging within reach, and, and everything is, is ready for them. But that's not the garden that's described. Um, just realize that the, the, the garden was 100% before civilization, because civiliz civilization did not exist. And so the, the garden that's described is 100% raw, 100% dangerous, 100% uh, uncultivated. It's the most intense, thick, uh, no trails at all. And this is what God said was good. And so uh, we, we know that this is good, and, and this is the, the perfect world that God created. Um, but when we look forward to Revelation... You would think if that garden was so perfect, if that garden was so ideal that God created it, that at the end of things, when Jesus returns and, and uh, everything is good again, there's a new Eden, there's a new Jerusalem, and, and heaven meets earth, you would think that if that was what God intended, that we would just return to that Eden-like state, that we would return to a garden, and we would turn to this unrefined wilderness, and we would go back and, and recultivate the world. But... In Revelation, the new Jerusalem, this new Eden, is defined as a city. And not only a city, but a city uh, which is centered around community. It's a, it's a city that's described as, as being completely transparent and so that there's no way to hide from God, but also no way to hide from each other. And so how do we get from, from this, this garden-like state, and why does God come back and, and recreate his perfect image as a city? And uh, the author, John Mark Comer, and myself would argue that this is because that our work is, is our ordained by God. Our work is, is created so that we can refine. And that refining of going from raw materials to something that is useful for community is part of our, our purpose. It's part of that godly life. And so uh, when you think about it, everything that we do, 
everything that we do uh, would, it goes towards refining that, that Eden into that city. But also recognize that we're not meant to, to refine this journey. We're not meant to go on this alone. Uh, see, especially uh, going back to the garden, again, in perfection, in before sin, in God's initial plan, he had community. There was Adam, there was Eve, and Eve was created as a helper to Adam. And they were meant to be together, and they went, were meant to be created and to work in community. And they were, the first part of that, that mandate, the per, first part of, of working is go forth, multiply, and create community, create culture. Go in and build that community. Uh, in the book Garden City, it says, our, our job is to make the invisible God visible, to mirror and mimic what he is like to the world. We can glorify God by doing our work in such a way that we make the invisible God visible by what we do and how we do it. You might be sitting there thinking, okay, so I understand the concept that working together is good. I understand the concept that uh, we're supposed to, to work in a way that, that glorifies God's kingdom and that takes raw materials and eventually leads to something, but how does that affect me? Uh, and... What, something that might come as a surprise to you is that you are all in ministry. Uh, a lot of times in American culture, we think ministry is limited to those who, what we call public ministry, those who are up here and, and directly proclaiming from the Bible and people who spend every day going towards and, and directly serving a church. But ministry in itself is just living to glorify God. And so when we do this, when we are, are in ministry, it doesn't matter if you're an accountant, it doesn't matter if you're a real estate agent, it doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a student, everything that you do is to glorify God. Everything you do is ministry. And, in, in, and with taking these concepts and, and in intertwining it with that, um, whenever you are, are working in a group, whenever you are not working alone, that's when that ministry happens. That's when that ministry takes place. Uh, because let's, let's say, for example, um, you have coworkers, and I know that if you think about it, there's people in your life who have this uh, verse 4 mentality, who have this, uh, as I would say it, the, the Tommy Gibson complex, who go out and seek people and say, I'm going to be better than that person, and I'm going to do whatever it takes so that I can get the permission, so that I can be recognized, and so they don't. We know that there are people like that in our lives. You might be one of them. But now imagine... Coming alongside this person, going up and saying, hey, how can I help you today? How can I make your, your plan, how can I make your vision possible? Now, let's put ourselves in the perspective here and just imagine the, the worldview shift that will happen if someone who's so used to, to being competitive, cutthroat, going out and, and doing whatever it takes to achieve their dreams, or maybe they're feeling beat down and confused and wondering why no one's helping them. And imagine putting yourself in union, in collection, in community with that other person and how much that will change them. That's the opportunity that we have to have people ask questions. It's a great opportunity for ministry. People will start asking you, why are you so optimistic on a Monday? Why are you not afraid of this? Why is this not stressing you out? And, and you have the answers to this. You, you have a God of peace. You have a, a global perspective. You have an infinity perspective. You have an eternity perspective that allows for you to, to rise above the actual context of the work and realize that what you're doing is expanding the kingdom of God. So there's a lot of elements in this. And, and when you are working together with these people, uh, when you're sacrificing, when you are, are 
are doing the hard work of working as a team, that perspective, that worldview, that attitude is intertwined. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting in this passage. Uh, Solomon is, is using a lot of twos. It's saying a two is better than one, uh, and if one falls down, the other can pick him up, and, and this kind of, there's this image of two people. Um, but then all of a sudden, in verse 12, it says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Again, looking at that two. But all of a sudden, he says, A threefold cord is not quickly broken. What's that all about? Uh, it's two, 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 and then a threefold cord. And that's a cord made of three different strands. There's a lot of things that he could have compared. Uh, he, he could have brought imagery in that are, are two things that come together and make strong, but he chose three. Now, why is that? I argue that uh, because when there's two, when there's that community, when, there's, when there is that union, it is only possible by the work of God. It's only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. How difficult is a group project? How difficult is working with other people? Especially the students in the front row, I, I, I can see it in their eyes that they're like in fear right now. But I think we all are having, we, we know how difficult it is to work with another person, whether it is in our profession, whether it's in our relationships, whether it's with our family. It's difficult to be working with another person because it requires sacrifice. It requires compromise. It requires that we probably aren't going to get our way. And if we do, it's probably not good because, it, because uh, there's this third element that comes in, and that, that is God's intervention. That is God uh, creating community. That is God taking our sacrifices, taking our weaknesses, and wrapping it up and saying, this is good. This can happen. Because I know that uh, without God, we fail. We argue. We want our own way. We go out and we have the mentality of, of being better than the other, or maybe the person that we're working with has that mentality. There are late nights. There's, there's tears. There's frustration. There's joys. There's success. There's victory. And, and all these things are not possible without God's intervention, without God coming in and, and taking our work and making it far better than we can ever imagine. And that sacrifice, that willingness that, that courage that it takes comes from God. Now, let's remember back to uh, when we were doing that activity at the beginning, when we were sharing with each other. Um, there's that mentality of, oh man, I, I've been sitting in here taking notes for the past three weeks. I know Ecclesiastes. I'm ready. And I'm going to turn to my neighbor and I'm going to show them exactly how much I know about this book. Or you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know anything about Ecclesiastes, but I'm going to listen to what they have to say. I'm going to take that. I'm going to use parts of it and pretend like I know what I'm talking about. I think we've all been there too. Uh, but there's this mentality of, of we could have used the opportunity to put ourselves ahead of each other. And maybe you did. 
uh, but what comes after that. When we were sharing with ideas, I hope that uh, you either learned something, maybe you learned what you didn't know, uh, maybe you learned how much you have yet to learn, um, but there was that sharing of ideas, there was that, that union of thought. And then after that, uh, there is the, the response. Now, I know church culture, I know this culture, and I know that if I would have stood up here right off the bat and said, hey, tell me some things about Ecclesiastes, we'd be sitting here for a while. <laughs> we'd probably still be sitting here in silence, just looking around at each other. Um, because when we come together and when we, when we share those ideas, it gives us confidence. It gives us that, that encouragement. It gives us uh, more stability in going, and it helps us to take action. And so from that, we, we know that community gives, that, that gives us this courage, gives us this uh, bravery that we might have not had before, and gives us uh, the ability to go and do something about it. In the same way, when we are, are in community in general, out in the world, and we are our called upon to make disciples of all nations. We have, have been given this opportunity to, to go and, and live in a culture that is dangerously confused. And it might be difficult, it might be confusing to say, hey, I'm going to go up and I'm going to, to speak life into this person. I'm going to go and help them out. And alone, those things are, are near impossible. I think we're all afraid of, of stepping out on a ledge. We're all afraid of going and, and doing that thing alone. But that's where the community aspect comes in. Because that community involves a God who gives us that courage, a God who, who gives us the opportunities to speak life into others, the, the opportunity to revitalize and point people back to the cross. Because at that cross is when those three strands were tied in a knot. And it's, it's saying that this union, this community, this thing is, is never going to be undone because ultimately Jesus perfects all brokenness, including the brokenness that happens in community, in relationships. And so there's no more, there's no more weaknesses, there's no more fighting, there's no more uh, understanding which perspective is better because even if those things happen, God's way is still going to be done. We're still going to get that city. We're still going to be uh, together with God because he has tied that knot. There's that perfection uh, because of the sacrifice that was made. The ultimate sacrifice that ties everything together. And so when we work together, when we live together, when we love together, it's better than being alone. Would you guys please pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the opportunity to, to come before you. We recognize today that we have the temptation to be alone. We have the temptation to walk through this world looking at our brother and, and saying that what I have is, is superior, inferior to the other. But God, everything that has been given, everything that has been provided comes from you. You give us community. You give us this helper. You give us this opportunity to share and the courage to do so. God, today, uh, just bring us back to that cross and the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate mode, the ultimate symbol of giving one's everything for the sake of another. Help us not only to, to understand that, accept that, and, and feel the, the love that was behind that, but allow us to reflect that in our own lives and be able to, to give up 
our pride, to give up our struggle so that we can help our neighbor, so that we can help build your kingdom, and so that we can take this garden and make it into a city and proclaim your name. God, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.